Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the MedTech Impact Podcast, where you get to hear from leaders and innovators who are shaping the future of medical technologies. I'm Kyle Cruz. And I'm Richard Mikkeljohn. And we're your hosts of the show. Today we have with us Wendy Sloan, CEO and founder of BTech. Wendy, welcome. Thank you. Awesome to have you here. I mean, Wendy, I think I've known you now for about a year. Super excited to have a chance to share some of your story and just learn more about where you are with the business now. And I guess, honestly, Wendy, when I think of you, I mean, really, we should say your full title, Dr. Wendy Sloan. You might be the cleverest person you will ever have on our podcast. A master's degree, double PhD, more than seven years at NASA Glenn Research, and now inventor turned entrepreneur. I just can't wait to hear more about your backstory. So how did you get started on your career path? Um, so I finished my PhD in um, urban studies in 2006, and um, they asked for people who, to teach. And I was like, no way, I never wanted to teach, right? And so um, I said, well, you know, maybe I'm, I have the wrong idea because one of my brothers told me, you got the wrong idea, go and do it. And so I spent 12 years teaching part-time. Um, and in the midst of that, some of my cohorts in my PhD program, uh, we were working together and we did various types of endeavors of business um, that all dealt with um, something in the community, um, economic development, policy making, so on. And my area of expertise was numbers. So I knew numbers, I knew statistics, I knew data, and it just came naturally. Like, I didn't have to think about it. I used to tutor and the, uh, my classmates would be like, you just be out there writing and you knew everything, da 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 And um, we all back there like trying to catch up. And so um, I was very proficient at it. And that turned into my first entrepreneurial activity. I didn't even realize I was an entrepreneur and working a business. I just thought I was out here doing the work and work came. And in that came uh, work with a company here that had NASA as one of their clients. And I started doing some work with them as a consultant and ended up um, transitioning, just doing all my work with them as a consultant because I became a STEM expert and very proficient at it. And um, so I spent about five or six years just working with them, you know, as a, a consultant um, and, and handling that part of the business for them. And I decided that I wanted to go back to school and decide, hey, I'll, maybe I'll give medical school a try again. And was in a program um, that was a dual program going into medical school. And one of my brothers had a stroke. And I said, well, I need to help my brother. And I stepped back and I helped my brother. It also was very impactful because... Uh, you know, if you had anybody had an illness like that, um, it takes your attention away from things. And so, uh, you know, I, I did what I needed to do to help my brother. Uh, but in the process of that, and all along behind the scenes simmering was my mom. And my mom um, was a diabetic. She started out as a gestational diabetic during pregnancies with my last brother um, that went into full-fledged diabetes by the time that brother was born. And um, my mom started having these bizarre illnesses and she started getting sick. I suspected she was having strokes, many strokes. And um, it led her to come off from her job. And then things just kind of went downhill for my mom with her health, with the diabetes. Uh, and she had an unfortunate fall um, one Sunday after we came home from church and she broke her ankle. And when she broke her ankle, they put her in a boot. We didn't think anything of it. They told her to keep the boot on. And eventually that boot, that pressure, all of that ulcer appears. 
And that also went down to the bone, literally down to the bone. You could see into her leg and down to the bone. And my dad spent time healing that wound and it took him a year and a half. My dad became a wound care expert. So notice the trend, wound care is something that must be in my DNA because my dad who worked at NASA <laughs> um, in a whole nother different field became this wound care expert. And then she had another, um, uh, she had that leg, ampu uh, not amputated, but she had another uh, fall. And now we got two wounds going, same thing broke it. And within three years, I saw her lose both of her legs. And I started thinking to myself and started researching because that's the, you know, right brain, left brain talking. And I realized that uh, we haven't really changed how we manage chronic wounds or how we treat wounds since the civil war. We're still using the same modality. We just got newer products. And, um, and so I said, there's gotta be something else out there. And I came across light therapies and I said, wow, this is interesting. This is fascinating. Why is anybody exploring this? And light therapy has been around since the fifties, late forties. So it's not something that's new, but it's big, it's cumbersome. Um, it's bulky. Most people can't afford it. And I said, oh my God, we can miniaturize this and we can turn this into a miniaturized device. So the house in smart patch essentially was born out of love for my mom. And then the need that I began to see within the community of diabetic foot ulcer patients. Um, so that's a long, short story of how I got started. Um, and then in the process of that, people have asked me, well, how do you know this technology? And, and you know, my, my left brain, right brain geek said, well, people invent things all the time. You know, you don't necessarily have to have a direct path between A and B. There can be A, B, and then you skip all the way over to Z and then you backtrack someplace to D. And um, and so because people kept asking me that, I said, oh, that's okay. Um, I'm going to go and get myself into another um, PhD program. So we have a wonderful person that is over the PhD program um, at Cleveland State. And I went and talked to him and I said, you know, I'm interested in coming in because I just want to have this knowledge base. And I got admitted. I was surprised and shocked. <laughs> I got admitted into an analytical chemistry um, program. Um, I haven't been taking any classes um, lately because everything has been focused on VTech. But nevertheless, the information, the insight, the thought processes, the training from a second PhD, <clears throat> excuse me, isn't valuable. And so that helped me to meet some hurdles where people were asking, well, I don't see how you can have this understanding of this knowledge in your mind. But I'm saying I also came from a world that was just full of engineers, chemists, physicists. You know, I grew up NASA. I worked NASA. Um, you know, so I'm I'm surrounded by STEM. And if you don't have any thoughts, you're gonna have some thoughts, <laughs> STEM related. Um, and so I feel that uh, you know, education has been a wonderful um, door and an opportunity, and it has afforded me to be able to explore my interest and my love for my mom and developing a product that can help beyond her um, and help um, beyond even <clears throat> excuse me diabetic foot ulcers. Incredible, Wendy. I uh, thank you, and that's that story is remarkable. And I think you know a lot of times when you're talking to innovators, entrepreneurs, you know, oftentimes it's it's kind of something that's happened in their life that has you know directed them to uh, pursue um, a, a certain area of expertise or specialty, looking to address a much larger problem that's near and dear to their heart. So um, you know, it's a, a beautiful story. Um, I, and 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 just thank you for sharing i guess um you know uh, it's interesting working in this this uh this medical device industry and understanding a lot of this light therapy a lot of that's 
uh, laser light therapy, I think that we see a lot of. I'm curious if you could maybe touch a bit more on the patch that you were able or develop or you're developing today and um, kind of touch on how how it would leverage light um, in, in the patch to treat those foot ulcers. Yeah, so um, I, I want to like start off by saying and being real clear to the listeners that um, our device is not a, uh, a Band-Aid. It's not a second skin like a duoderm. Um, and sometimes people often want to clump it in those areas because that's what they understand in the wound care space. Yeah. Um, and because it is a patch, technically, because you apply it like a Band-Aid, they want to put it there. But it's actually a device because it does not go on the wound bed. It goes in the vicinity. So let's say if you have a diabetic foot ulcer, you can put it up on the calf. You may be even able to say, I can't put it on the calf. I want to put it on the thigh. I want to put it on the back of the wrist. I want to put it anywhere. And that's because the device mechanism of action is after increasing microcirculation. So I'm just going to talk at a high level about um, you know, what the device does. Um, so we use a biopolymer nanomatrix. And biopolymer is just a fancy way of saying we use something that's from nature. So we we use um, a, a, a conduit that's from nature in order to build the, what is the patch itself. And then we infuse it with the whole nanotechnology and the far infrared. Far infrared, people are like, well, how can you harness far infrared? It's easy. We can roll it through the machinery that we use. We can use an external light source and we can impregnate it. And then our proprietary patch has um, components in it that allows the far infrared to be held. So similar, if you've ever used the lidocaine patch, which is called salon patches or icy hot, sure. they do the same thing. And so they take that lidocaine, they infuse it onto that patch. And when you put it on your body, your body's heat releases it. It's the same thing with our patch. When you put it onto the body, the device releases the far infrared. Now here's the thing, the beautiful thing, far infrared, let me just demystify that, is the sun. It's like sunlight. And so you can buy, if you ever bought a far infrared lamp for your home, if like I have a far infrared sauna, if you bought anything that a far infrared piece of clothing, it's infused with far infrared light. It's just a bandwidth of wavelengths. And so you can infuse that into different things in nanotextiles. And in this case, it's in a device that actually just looks like it is the size of a Band-Aid. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, and the body's ambient body temperature releases that into the skin. Now, when it releases the far infrared off of the patch, the body um, takes it and transforms that infrared light, that far infrared light into radiant heat. And that's the same thing our body does with the sun. So the body is just, it's like if you go from a, a, a ice situation to a, a, a solid, to a liquid, to a gas, it's that same principle with heat energy, light energy. It goes from stage to stage. And this is what happens with our product. So it goes from that far infrared to what the body recognizes as radiant heat. And that small radiant heat stressor causes a wonderful reaction in the body, which is a natural reaction, which is um, at a 30,000 foot range, um, the increase of nitric oxide. Not the nitric oxide where, okay, it's going to cause problems with um, potassium levels in your body and all of that. Mm. It's a good response. It opens up as a vasodilator your veins. So more oxygen, more nutrients can flow in. With more oxygen, more nutrients, what's going to happen is that you're going to get more cellular deposition, meaning you're going to get more skin being re-epithelialized into that wound. And guess mm. what? That skin is going to be stronger. That's key because when you cut yourself, if you've got any kind of 
wound, um, it normally without being a diabetic, that wound makes that skin compromised. So it's lost what we call tensile strength. But if you are a diabetic, you're going to lose a whole lot of that tensile strength. So that's what happens when the reason why those wounds reoccur. And they reoccur in a bigger area than where you normally had the first wound at because the skin has become weakened. So, so, so our focus is increasing microcirculation and increasing that skin strength. So now you've got a better chance of that wound mm -hmm. not reopening, not mm -hmm. sliding on the banana peel down to an amputation. So that's our focus. Increase it, microcirculation by increasing nitric oxide to help prevent the amputation. You are amazing, Wendy. Is this now? I, now I know this. It was developed, you know, through you know, obviously um, looking for a solution for for your mother. Um, but could this be used in any kind of wound that you have in any yeah, part of your body? Most right, definitely. So this most isn't just. Foot ulcers here. This is for it is not just foot ulcers. Yeah, yeah. Okay, foot ulcers is our market entry because of my love for my sure, mom. Sure. But it can be used for any wound. So the chronic wound market is a $12 billion TAM industry, right? Mm -hmm. So that means that it includes Huge. diabetic foot ulcers, burns, non-healing surgical wounds, dermatological issues. Um, it can be pivoted over for those same types of wounds in animals. So veterinarian, it opens up that field. I've had um cardiologists say, hey, because you're increasing microcirculation, this might be something we can use for our patients who have impeded um, vascular flow as a result of their cardiac issue. Can we use it for that? All of that is yes. So mm -hmm. again, this is why it is a device and not a band-aid, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. um, yeah. because it has so many ways that it can be used. Yeah. And, and tell us, I'm sorry, Richard, I have one more question and I, I, I'm super curious. What's the patient experience like? Uh, you mentioned that it doesn't have to go directly on a certain, it can go anywhere on the body. You know, how, how does that work? So it can go anywhere on the body because um, if it might, um, vascular system doesn't care when you begin to, you know, stimulate it to open up those vessels. Mm. So if you know anybody, for instance, that's taking blood pressure medication, it's the same thing. They take that pill, it goes into the stomach, but the effect is systemic. So it's body wide. So that's the same thing with this. It has a body wide effect. So um, if you put it closer to, to the wound, this is what we would test in our clinical trials. If you put it on the calf and the wound is on the ankle, the proximity of it um, is what we are looking to test out, but we won't know that until we do the clinical trial. So right now we've done some preliminary animal testing. We've built a device, so we know how to build it. We know we can get epithelialization. Um, so we know all of these things work. So we are really interested in getting it first in, in man. Um, and to that point, we are actually doing our um, FDA pre-submission right now, working with Arcumis to help us go to FDA and say, this is what we've done. This is what we're thinking. What what are you saying and what is your guidance and your leading and how we should move, move forward with this? In addition to that, we're doing our um, reimbursement code assignment. So we're looking, I'm mean, working with um, our um, Argenta advisors to help us look at that as well so that we know all of these things moving forward. Um, and to that end, we are um, working with some podiatrists who are on our team to help us be able to have patients 
that we can be able to bring into clinical trials, but then also get their feedback on, hey, does this work for you as a clinician? Do you think that this would work? Because again, we are not trying to replace any products. We're coming in as a complementary mm -hmm. um, product. So we want to be a part of a family of ways that you're treating wounds, but we want to be a way that help close expeditiously so that you can help prevent infections, reduce hospitalization, and then more importantly, bring strength to that skin that's being epithelialized. Generally, if you don't move into an amputation right after that diabetic foot ulcer and there's a lag, you're more likely to get that reoccurrence of that wound within one year. And so I seen that, I seen that happen with my mom. Mm -hmm. And so, and not only did the wound come back, but it was bigger. And so how do you begin to prevent that? So this is why we focus on grades zero to three. When we're talking about wound healing, four and five, you're already at gangrene um, and you're probably at the place of amputation anyway. So we wanna be preventive um, and then also help during the process um, of any type of stage of healing up until that stage three. Now, Wendy, you always do such an incredible job of explaining to me, which I'm thinking about, this is like deep science and you make it sound so simple. So I have a couple of questions for you. One is I'd love to know, is there any reasoning behind the name of the product, the Halcyon Smart Patch? And then second to that, you know, going beyond this science you're talking through, what are some of the challenges you face in actually bringing this product to market? Yeah, um, Halcyon just sounds cool, right? <laughs> um, but uh, actually, Halcyon just came about because our engineer, um, that was the project name he gave it. And I thought, that's a cool name. Why change it? Why book the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the name of it? it? It fits for it. Um, and so that's how that came about. Um, one of our major, my, my only challenge at this point in time is funding. Mm -hmm. um, and um, funding, funding, funding. <laughs> Yeah, that's the biggest challenge. Um, so far, we have um, been able to bootstrap and we've had wonderful, wonderful strategic um, partners and affiliations that have come along and provided in-kind services, provided um, all kinds of assistance to us. And uh, we could not be where we are today without that. Programs like um, the UMass Impact um, have been um, phenomenal supporters of us um, as, as a business, as a startup, um, as a female minority owned business. Uh, it, it, I, I cannot ask for anything more. I mean, I'm always pushing people towards like, if you don't um, think about an accelerator, think about one, and this is the one you should think about. And um, so I'm very, um, happy with what support we have gotten from um, UMass, um, Impact, um, of course, BARDA, um, and now with the Johnson Johnson Innovation, it's, we could not have asked for better um, partners to help us. Well, cool. That's great to hear, Wendy. I mean, I think for, for us, getting we're fortunate to work with you. I feel like ever since I've known you, you're just, again, the epitome of an entrepreneur. You know, you're going out there and making it happen. You put in so much effort. And for us, it's like a real joy to work with. And so we've been super excited to see the progress you've made. And so again, back to that funding question, you know, what do you kind of see or feel are the problems you're facing in going out and getting money? Because of course it's a difficult climate, but again, do you see any particular challenges that you're facing? Um, yeah, it is a difficult climate, but I think the, the biggest issue is um, because it's a difficult climate, um, investors are looking for that much more de-risking. And uh, mm -hmm. for us, we know um, two areas that we want to de-risk um, that are easy for us to de-risk, but we need the funds to be able to do the research to de-risk them. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's the biggest hurdle. Um, 
I, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can, um, you know, get beyond that and find a, a lead investor that would do that for us. But I'm also always looking for creative ways to uh, get to that next um, milestone place for us so that we keep being on track for um, release of the product by 2025 into the commercial space. So one of the efforts that we are doing um, in, in the de-risking pathway is looking at the FDA pre-submission, looking at the reimbursement code. Um, looking at being able to become revenue generating, even doing uh, clinical trials, you know, if we can identify codes or apply for a code, uh, whatever what that will look like. Um, and then looking at, you know, building partnership and relationships with other entities that may be able to walk with us, um, you know, so say we gave up some equity and say that, hey, we'll take on helping you get to that next data trench milestone that will help mm -hmm. to further de-risk the technology. So always, always to me as an entrepreneur and as a founder, you have to think outside of the box um, and uh, not look so much at the obstacle like, oh my gosh, I don't have no funding. Yeah, okay, I don't have any funding, but what else can I do? How else can I keep marching forward? How else can I keep the business um, viable and attractive as we are still, um, you know, fundraising, but there are things that we still need to do, you know, so FDA, um, you know, reimbursement, um, human trials, you know, factor analysis, all of those things, all of these are things that still need to be done. And so just keep those pro projects moving as well. And don't get hung up on, yeah, I need funding. But if I'm asked, I'm gonna say funding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and Wendy, is this is a, this is a 510k submission? Yeah, so right now we think it's a 510k class two device. Um, and so we're looking for clearance. Um, but again, uh, FDA, I'm, I'm in the trenches of the FDA um, pre-sub application on my side. I have work to do in it. I'm almost done, thank goodness. Um, but uh, we think right now it is. Uh, um, and we did a wonderful program called G-Beta MedTech. I just want to give them a shout out. And G-Beta took the chance on having a cohort that was just focused on Black founders. That is phenomenal. <laughs> Let me just park there and say that that's phenomenal. And um, Boston Scientific and BARDA were involved with that. And Boston Scientific provided us huge assistance in um, looking at um, predicated devices. Uh, I went there and I had three wish list items, and that was one of them. And they came through with flying colors. So that helped us to begin to look at where we were at in terms of FDA as a class. So, um, you know, Richard can show and test. I'm always like, I know exactly what I want. And I oh, know. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then if I learn something, I come back and say, I think I need that too. <laughs> Absolutely. And I have to say props to G Beta because that's how we first met. You know, so that's we saw we your pitch met. there, then we followed up, we had a conversation, and you know, we were very grateful that you came and you applied to the impact program. So that was cohort two you applied for earlier this year with BARDA. And now we're delighted to have you back in cohort four, where we're working with Johnston Johnston Innovation. I'm super excited to again bring you back on November the 30th where we're, we're going to be having this pitch off event um, where we're going to let all these innovators tell their stories. So I guess for you, having been through these programs, what's been your biggest takeaway? What have you learned from them? Um, know what you want and not be ashamed or afraid to ask for what you need. Um, I think especially as female founders, I find a lot of female founders and particularly minority founders um, waffle around what they need and waffle around their ass and you cannot do either. You need to ask, you need to stand by while you're asking um, and, and be sure that you're asking for the right thing and then you need to um, 
be willing to take advice and be willing to take correction, be willing to take um, input as well from people who uh, know the space, who know um, the the climate, and um, not think that you have a, a how can I say it's not have a um, a market hold on what you know, um, mm -hmm. because if you do, then you won't go anywhere. And as, as an entrepreneur, I find that your position should always be one of being like a sponge and being uh, receptive to soaking up knowledge, you know? So I, I liken it to when I was in my PhD program the first time, uh, I will be like, I'm just gonna suck up everything. Not only because I'm paying a million dollars for this, um, but I, I'm here to suck up all the knowledge that you have. And then when I got towards the end of the program, I felt like I was saturated. I felt that I had gotten everything that I needed. And that's how I knew that I was ready to go and, and go out into the world and be a, um, you know, a practitioner. And, and I realized that that's the right evolution. And that's the same thing with a business. You have to be willing to suck up <laughs> as mm -hmm. much knowledge, as much understanding. And if people say things, ask them for clarification, ask them until you know and you understand it clearly. Um, and, and don't be afraid to take rudimentary steps. Sometimes I find that especially scientist entrepreneurs um, don't want to take rudimentary steps. But I learned when I was pursuing my first PhD, it's okay to say I'm having a Barney Rubble moment. And if you know anything about the Flintstones, Barney's eyes were nothing there. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to gain and glean some information. And I would hear my, my classmates say to me, oh, you shouldn't have asked that. I said, well, do you know? And they were like, no. And I said, but did you gain something from my question? Yes. And so that's what I feel about this process. I want to gain as much knowledge. I want to be as best as I can as an, um, not only as an entrepreneur, but as a founder and as a CEO. You know, at the end of the day, I'm trying to build a business that has a product. I don't want to have mm -hmm. a product that I'm trying to build a business around mm -hmm. because I'm in it for the long run. I see BTEC as having a family of products based on this one technology. So how do I roll that out and become the next Coke? you know, Coca-Cola with the Coke Wars in the wound care space so that I can have families of products that can help reach more people that are in this chronic wound space. You know, you're right. That complementary approach, I think, um, to help uh, uh, increase the um, success rate, right? And the he the healing uh, process is uh, is so incredibly important, um, especially if you know your 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 product too um, can can be at a a competitive price point. And um, so I guess I I'm curious too. We like is there kind of like a target price um, per per patch right now um that that you're kind of striving towards um yeah we do have a um that's a good question and thanks for the compliment and com um, comment um yeah. yeah we do have an ideal pricing um so for instance right now a bariatric um chamber um, ep um uh, what they call it when you go in for the bariatric it's like uh, one treatment uh, it's about 250 dollars 200 250 dollars mm. so we don't want to price too much more over that that's a device that's in our space um, laser therapy treatments vary um, in their costing so we wanted to try to pick like an industry standard that um, brings oxygenation again um, to the wound bed which is part of our modality of bringing um, oxygenation increased by the 
increasing the microcirculation. And so we're looking roughly now at about $160 per patch with a box of five patches. And we're estimating that it would take you about five patches to per wound to close it. Mm -hmm. um, and when we're talking closure, I'm not talking just like surface closure, we're talking closure of the wound. So some of the current technologies that have been out here for a long time, they're great and they're wonderful, but this is how we can complement them. And that while they're closing across the surface, and then all of that other stuff is still happening beneath the surface, and mm -hmm. that wound is still susceptible to infections. If we're being used, this is our thought process and our hypothesis, then we can come and help clear um, heal from the inside out. So that's one of our taglines, healing from the inside out. Mm -hmm. So now you've got double healing to me in my mind. So you've got something that's closing, you know, efficiency, efficiently, even though it's taking a little longer, we can help expedite that external closure um, at the surface too, because of how our product is constructed and engineered. But now we can also help heal it from the inside out. So why is this important? Because I give an example, I broke my ankle in 2011 and I had to have surgery. So I still to this day have a plate and pins in my leg. And the surgeon said to me, well, Miss Sloan, this wound is gonna still be healing several years out. And I said, brother, you don't know what you're talking about. You just cut me open. You just put some hardware in me. And he was right because the wound was still healing from the inside. Mm -hmm. And so it closed on the surface, but I still, I had a little like hole that opened up at the end of that incision that I was like, oh my God, I hope I don't get an infection. But because I wasn't diabetic or anything like that, it closed up and it was no problem. But I look at, that's what happened with my mom. She broke her ankle. They put a little stabilizing pin in there. They pulled it out. The wound that they made was about this big. You could barely see it. Mm. That little wound went to a wound that was this big in the side of her ankle. Uh, we have pictures of it down to the bone. And so how can you prevent that? It's by healing from the inside out and then meeting where the current technology is. I liked what you said about other new technologies that are coming on. So I like to follow and track and everybody in my family, friends and know about B-Tech always sending me stuff. Have you seen this device? Have you seen this? Yeah. And I'm like, yes, because I'm out here following. So I keep a folder of things that are out here, not because I'm also looking at my competitors in the space, but because I'm interested in knowing how new technologies, biopolymers are new in an innovative way to treat wounds, to treat um, cardiac issues. I mean, there's so many things you can do with biopolymers and nanoparticles. And so I'm excited to see how the field and the, this, this whole sector is beginning to be changing, which we've needed a change because we haven't done anything since the Civil War to change it, correct? Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's great to see. It's great to see. And it's a, it's, I'm glad to see it. I'm glad to see other products come in. I'm glad to see things come in that are dealing with surface um, epidermis layer. I'm glad to see other products because we need these products. Um, the patients need the products sure. and our healthcare providers need other tools in their belt. This is why I'm saying that we're a great complementary product. Absolutely. And you know what, you're going to be able to uh, probably help reduce the number of other types of procedures that multiple procedures that might be needed to with your technology. Um, and, uh, you know, help reduce the number maybe of visits to the hospital, right? Um, and help again, expedite the healing process. So you're, you're saving time, you're saving visits, you're saving a lot of money. And, you know, when you talk about that price point, um, it, it, you know, in the, in the 
med, med tech, you know, industry, uh, it's not, it's not staggering, right? It seems like it's a competitive price point that's going to produce significant results and savings for the industry, uh, for the healthcare industry, for doctors, for hospitals, for the patient themselves. It's uh, um, really impressive. So uh, thank you, Wendy, for sharing, for sharing all of that. Yeah, I think you're doing amazing things. And again, when you're talking about being an entrepreneur, it comes across so clearly about how immersed and how passionate about your product you are. Obviously, this 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 personal story of why you started. And I wonder if kind of reflecting on all these things, if you were to give advice to other entrepreneurs, what are the kind of the key things you look on and look back on your journey and say, these are the things that people should really know about, be prepared for, or those sort of tips or advice to go forward? Uh, my, my biggest advice, and um, maybe this is the old teacher of me, is um, I used to tell my students, go back and analyze why you got that question wrong. <laughs> hmm. And it's not because um, of the lack of knowledge, but what was you what were your processes and thinking? And then how can you change that around so that if you see that again, even if it's worded differently, you're able to get it right. So it's uh, here it is. It's a teachable learning experience. So what I tell entrepreneurs and I tell um, particularly even female founders, because I'm, I'm currently doing the female, um, the Capital Network female founders were wrapping that up. And so I was just talking with them this morning and said, don't be afraid to fail. Society oh, tells yeah. us if you fail, then, you know, you just are a loser. You can't do anything. You'll never rebound. You know, all of the negative things. And failure is actually growth. Failure is actually progress. Failure is actually success. But if I look at it and I meditate on it as failure and I internalize it in the negative way, then I am gonna fail and I am gonna be that loser that I don't wanna be. But if I ask people and I'm open enough to be taught and say, I don't understand why I'm not getting no funding. What can I do to change that scenario? And it's something tweaking small in how I'm presenting it. And I'm like, oh, and so now I've learned from a failure and now it can become a positive and become a success for me. So my biggest advice to anybody is don't be afraid to fail. Look for the success in that failure. It's such great advice. And I think as well in science, like science is failure. You know, you have 99 experiments that fail to prove that one time this is the way that works. You need to validate. And I think, again, it's such great advice to say to other people, don't be afraid of that. It's a journey and you will get there if you persevere. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's time and, and perseverance and, 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 and then it's also the timing. So it may not be your timing right then, but your timing mm -hmm. will come because when you look back over it six months ago, I'm not where I was. So like one of the questions today during our meeting was, oh, six months ago, where were you at? I said, I was busy. Where are you at today? I'm even busier. And so <laughs> this is good. So I can see and I can trunch and see progress. And we should be able to see progress and milestones in what we're doing as entrepreneurs. And, um, and so we have to look above sometimes, not be so entrenched down where, you know, it's just face down, dirt up the nose. You need to be able to pull back 30,000 feet, 50,000 feet and see where you have been making progress and where you're moving and then put that all into a master strategic plan. Am I meeting my master strategic? your plan. So our goal is to come to market by 2025. That part of that is not only, um, you know, market entry, but it's also bringing in how we can get revenue started as part of our clinical trials effort. And so all of that is part of our roadmap to market entry. And now when I talk to other entrepreneurs, they're not even thinking about that. And I'm like, so there's so many ways. Don't be locked in. It's almost like being landlocked. Don't be locked in. 
you know, so I grew up near a body of water by Lake Erie. And so here we, we don't have that mindset. It's just growing up on bodies of water. And you, I know you guys know this from Massachusetts. You have a different mindset about how to navigate because you're not locked in to a place where you can't get from A to B. And that's how you have to be as an entrepreneur. You can't get um, landlocked in your thoughts and in your processes. So failures are gonna happen, that's okay. Don't internalize things, don't take them personally. Use them to grow. How can I better my pitch deck? How can I better my pitch? How can I better my presentation? How can I get more exposure? How can I build my network? How can I, you know, all of these things um, and, and then be smart about it. Absolutely. Yeah, Wendy, you're, you're an inspiration. Uh, that really is incredible. It's, it's clear why you're in the position you are in today, why you're a real true leader. Um, and uh, just congratulations on, on everything you've accomplished to date and uh, the people like you just making this world a better place. I, I, I guess, you know, people are going to hear your story and, you know, uh, that's our hope, right? We want to get that out there. You know, if people want to get in touch with you, what's, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. So um, my email address is W Sloan and I spell my last name S L O N E at B tech B T E C H L S at um.com um, and they can also um reach me through linkedin i'm out on linkedin they can um you know network with me there i get a been getting a lot of hits there where people ask to connect and then i'll just send them my um you know email address if they didn't catch that and then they also can go through our um website which is um btechls.com and they can find us there and there's a the bottom of the page there's a a, a sheet where they can reach out and um and i do respond uh, to all of those. Oh, fantastic. And they can also see you at the uh, Impact Pitch Off on yes. November 30th at UMass Lowell, yes, the Innovation Hub. So uh, you can't forget that. Um, Wendy, this was a real pleasure. We can't thank you enough for taking the time today. Um, so just amazing conversation. Uh, again, wishing you all the very best. And uh, with that said, we're going to be signing off. And until next episode, once again, this is the MedTech Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Cruz. And I'm Richard Michaeljohn. And until next time, keep innovating.